0: IEEE SA Voice shares insights and perspectives from the IEEE SA community, subject matter experts, and industry leaders that are working to raise the world standards, drive market solutions, and much more, keeping you at the forefront of technological innovation for the benefit of humanity.
1: Hello everyone. Welcome to Rethink Health, a podcast series powered by IEEE SA Healthcare Life Sciences Practice. I'm Maria Palambini and I'm your host and I'm delighted that you've joined us today. So today we have a really exciting uh, discussion on digitalizing clinical trials, what I like to call removing the pain and enhancing patient care. And I'm honored to have with me um, Walter Debrauer, founder and CEO of Doc AI, and the volunteer chair of the IEEE SA Technology and Data Harmonization for Enabling Remote Clinical Trials Industry Connections Program. As you all know, for those of you who are IEEE members, you know we put a lot of words into a lot of our programs. So um, just a little bit about Walter. Uh, he is an adjunct professor at Stanford University School of Medicine and a visiting professor at the Yale School of Management. Uh, He runs the Harvard Medical School spinoff XY.AI, which actually pioneered the digital twin algorithm in medical research and created the geo intelligence system to study the exposmic burden on genomes per US zip code. That just that sentence alone just makes me think how amazing and, and grand that work is. You know, he uh he also is participates in various other uh programs, including the Roche Data Science Coalition and other organizations. So and he has many interesting interests, current interests. He's looking at 5G cognitive radio, quantum computing, and all of the, and everything in between. So uh Walter, thank you for joining me today. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Maria. Thank you for having me. So we know whoever's in the pharmaceutical healthcare domain, that there's some systemic challenges in clinical trials. So let's start with who clinical trials are supposed to help patients. Why do patients feel so out of the loop when it comes to the ability to make decisions about their health and their care? And what are some of the trends impacting drug development, sharing and ownership of this health data?
0: Yeah, well, first of all, I think patients are... uh, uh, So uh, it's not... You know, it's it's common to to many people that we have a delivery problem for healthcare in the United States, and uh, delivery problems always arise when it, it's a sum of the scaling per square kilometer and the inhabitants of scale kilometers. But and it's also a, uh, a symptom of uh, the complexity of industrialized uh, civilizations, of course. But in in the states, really to Get an appointment with a doctor or a specialist. It's it's really you know painful, and also the costs associated to that are you know horrendous because we are in a situation where medical bills are the first cause of, of bankruptcy in the United States. And then if the results were great, uh, perhaps we could understand that a little bit. But the results are are abysmal because uh, we have the 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 lowest lifespan the lowest life expectancy. We have the highest uh, uh, mortality of babies. Uh, So we have the highest rate of uh, suicide. So there is something between the connection uh, of uh, price and value is completely wrong. And also our healthcare is linked to our job. So you mostly get sick when you're not having a job because you have too much time. Time is also a bit of a uh, you know, a time is like a medication. Uh, you know, you can overdose if you have too much time. But just when when you don't have a job, and then you're also your healthcare falls away. And then there are all these layers. You know, like I call them the the, the five P's. You know, like the patient is one P, but there is uh, the provider, the physician, uh, pharma, the politics, the regulator. You know, like uh, and and all these these create actually, and the payer of course, all these create an enormous layer of a bureaucracy where the patient has to find its way. And for the moment, they don't find their way in it. You know, they just uh, do the best they can. So Americans are not a society of whiners, so they just make the make the best of it. But uh, being out of that, being in that sad loop is of, or of course, you know, one of the reasons our mental health problems also go up.
1: Absolutely. There's just a whole complexity of problems. Speaking of an interesting problem, right, we are all in the midst of our fourth to fifth month of this COVID-19 pandemic, which has been, which has opened the Pandora box for the idea of telehealth, remote health and care. And we also know that many clinical trials, unfortunately, had to be paused or canceled as a result of the pandemic. So, when, we, when, when, the, in the, when the clinical trials program was born at the IEEE Standards Association over a year ago, we had not envisioned a COVID-19 pandemic at the time. We were trying to address some of the challenges we saw in the clinical trials industry. And lo and behold, the future became today. <laughs> so my question to you is, how do you think um, the group can impact the continuation of trials in the future, uh, even with COVID-19 and beyond to so whatever the next potential challenge might be. How and what do you foresee happening as a result of it? Well, first of all, uh,
0: there's a lot of uh, new things that have happened in technology that still have to go into drug development, which will dramatically reduce the costs of medical research. You know, why have all these these uh, uh, clinical trials paused now? Well. Uh, first of all, patients, uh, you know, there's this paranoia set in. Patients don't want to see doctors because they think they're infectious. And and doctors don't want to see patients because they think they're infectious. And so, and so they find each other on the screen. And they, they, they now know that it's a lot easier. And uh, they can also do it uh, digitally, which is we have evolved towards an um, asynchronous communication society. We'd rather actually do things writing or chatting than having, having actually voice calls, which you can never interrupt because there's a guy, you know, sitting in his living room and, you know, talking about his life for an hour. So all these things are actually very, very good for people to realize, hey, you know, there's a new kind of delivery there and it works very well for doctors and for patients. And why have these trials now paused? Not only because of that, but because people start to realize, I don't want to go to a site where there are doctors, where I'm I'm actually handled in an unfriendly way almost, like patronizing way. And there is another way for us to do it. If if I want to be in a trial, I don't want to do it for $8 a day and, and risk my health and go through all this hassle. So uh, people who organize clinical trials, both pharma and CROs, have to rethink this relationship today because, um, of course, nobody likes change. You know, my wife always says that uh, I only change to avoid change, which is probably true. You know, like, but it's probably true for for everyone. But uh, you know, there's something worse than change, and that is uh, irrelevance. And uh, this is the time to to change now. And. Of course, if you're bread and butter and if you make, you know, great income, it's very hard to persuade people who make a lot of, uh, of money that they have to change, you know, <laughs> but uh, it, it it has to be. So let's look at, the, you know, drug development. You know, how can the technologies of today, how can we make this a lot cheaper and a lot better? First of all, there is a big wave coming and now with COVID-19, this has Brought momentum and acceleration. So, patients, and they are realizing it, patients are becoming the buyer's market. So, the seller's market is over. More and more, they will be in charge. They want a Yelp industry of doctors and providers. So, that decentralization from a central point of hospitals where people have to go and, and to a doctor, and so they want to do it. You know like what they have experiencing now they want to keep it going and this also translates in our technology because we now have you know we build up the clouds you know like where every enterprise is using the cloud and every user is using the cloud but now every everyone has a smartphone so if you think of it and uh so first of all if you have a smartphone you are basically a researcher. And that's a new concept that uh, we have to tell people. This is the story that we have to tell people now and that we have to actually admit to people that medicine, we don't know everything. Basically, uh, in in medical research, we we use a lot of statistics to basically hide our, our, our temporary ignorance of facts. So we should also share that with people, that they are researchers, that participants are researchers, and they can do that on their smartphone. And in that smartphone, we will use, from the technology side, every component in that smartphone to extract medical information. And that smartphone itself will be a remote uh, device or a hub where we can connect to all the other devices around us and extract medical data and then the technology is now there to both ensure the privacy on the edge on the device because now if you have a smartphone you don't need to go to the cloud anymore you know as a, as a, as an individual because i can store more on my smartphone than on my laptop i can compute on my smartphone but until recently I could not train a model. I could not, you know, make my smartphone learn. But now with federated learning, we can. We can do everything on a smartphone. So that means in the future, you know, now how does it work? Like uh, we have a lot of data and companies have a lot of data. They put it in the cloud, which is a sort of a public toilet, you know, like uh, uh, because you never know who goes before, who who comes after you. And uh, you just want to wash your hands and, (laughs) and get out. Now. We can do it on our smartphone and we don't have to go back to the cloud and process some information that is there. It is on our smartphone and where it is created, it will be continuously computed. And so we are going for healthcare as a discrete function. And with the discrete function, I mean like your bank account, you know, something goes in, goes out. It's a bit like a patient, you know, like uh, he falls, they put him in a hospital. Uh, A week later, they wheel him out. And that's where the protocol ends. And then, you know, you see people crawling to a cap <laughs> uh, and they're again in the world, in the real world and they don't actually know what happened to them. So that's because healthcare is a discrete function. We only, you know, engineers were once also discrete. We only uh, uh, corrected bugs in the system. But now we don't do that anymore. Well, we still correct a lot of books, but I mean, we are looking at uh, what we are doing as a marathon. We are continuously, you know, looking for security and looking for mistakes. And healthcare will be a continuous function. Just like a plant that grows, there is only two singularities. You are born and you die. And everything that comes between is a superposition of you are healthy and you are not healthy. But by getting a lot of data on that, we will, you know, patients will learn to know themselves and they will, if they have a disease, they will even become expert patients after that, you know, to tell other patients because if they give me the uh, opportunity, if I have um, a disease to talk to a, an expert doctor or an expert patient who went through it, I first want to talk to the patient. Uh, so all these things are, are happening now, that decentralization, and another big thing is happening that is real-world data. And I, I want to explain that a little bit because this is going to be so important for the future. Up to now, our medical research worked in controlled studies with a placebo a control group and another group. Some group got the real pill, the other group got the placebo. You know, people always have placebo fear, you know, like, you know, I I have the placebo pill. Then, basically, they come, you come to a situation where they come to people like, like us, you know, mathematicians, and they say, make us a model, because it has to go through the FDA, and these are the standard deviations that the FDA will follow. So for us, so then we whiteboard, because we know that success of getting through the FDA is uh, basically how you calculate error. So we are making a model of a world, and we stipulate what this world is. And in this world, the model works, and the drug works. But please don't go out of this world, because it's a world. It is not the world. So and then afterwards, you go into the world, and there you have something like pharmacovigilance, which the FDA does. And then you see how a drug performs in the market. Now, why do we do that? It costs a lot of money. It's basically mathematically controlled uh, into an ideal world while we could do real-world data and real-world evidence. And where is that? Well, for instance, it's in claims data. Claims are payers, insurers, and they have already actually paid out for a disease and be sure if they pay out, you really have had that disease, you know, because they check every step of it. So that's the placebo. So you can give people a pill and then you take, you know, like a big amount of data where you make digital twins, basically. You say like, we want the same people, the same BMI, the same age, the same gender, the same condition, and that is the placebo. This will speed up medical research enormously. And so out of that comes real-world evidence then. Another thing that I mentioned is everything on edge computing and federated learning. For the first time in the world, probably, we have found a way which is non-zero-sum. Up to that, you know, for data. Uh, up to now, everything was a zero-sum. If I get something, I have to take it from somewhere else. So that's why people don't want to give their data because you know uh, everyone keeps their data in silos because if they give it they don't long, no longer have it. What we have done now and basically on uh, on earlier research of Google in 2015, 2016 is federated learning. We were the first actually that uh, uh, worked on that for medical research because what does it mean? Well, in federated learning. You uh, give a model to people who have data, and you say, you know, populate that model and give us the encrypted tensors, which is mathematical formula. And that is actually the essence of the learning. You don't know any of the data. You haven't touched the data. You don't even know the structure of the data. You certainly don't know who is behind that data, or you know, you don't have to de-identify. De- but then you can exchange the tensors and both win. It's a win-win. It's non-zero-sum. So this will help medical research enormously because in academia, we always have to beg for data. Now, with that new situation where AI has come on to edge and federated learning, we can even do it on smartphones. People can collect their data on their smartphone. And then what we do is we put all that these smartphones together and then, you know, everyone, because on a smartphone, I know how I am doing, but I don't know how the others are doing. So I have no point of view. But if I then have how I'm doing and all the learning of all the others, I not only learn, but I also know where I am in the perspective to the others. So also we have recently, uh, you know, there is, a, there is a, a big problem with privacy and, uh, and with learning. Privacy won't go away. People think that, you know, at at one point we'll give up our privacy. I I don't believe that because our DNA is unique. If I give my DNA to someone, I expose my germline. Perhaps my grandchild someday will be caught up because his DNA is uh, mixed up with other DNA and uh, he gets into jail by by some, you know, like because I, I didn't check my sources when I gave that DNA. Privacy will not go away. But you also have to learn. So how can, you, how can our models learn with privacy data? And of course, we have all sorts of... We can use hashes and cryptography, but there's another way. We can just leave it to the user, to the patient, and we can tell them. Because how does privacy work? We are adding uh, randomization. So we are adding a lot of random noise to something. If you take a picture and you want it completely private, you won't recognize yourself in that picture anymore and nobody will be able to to decrypt it. But then that picture cannot learn anymore. When you tell people, you can, you yourself, you can actually prize that. If you want 50% privacy and 50% learning, that's what we will give you. If you want 80% privacy, 20% learning, because you see that is the equilibrium. What do you want? You want to learn? Or do you want to be completely private? And I think that's the best way to leave it to the people. This creates markets. You know, perhaps medical research wants people who are complete. They want to know everything. So they will have to pay more because this is going to be a gig economy, just like doctors are basically now already in the gig economy. If you do telehealth, you you find them on several systems, the same doctor. It's a bit like you drive for Uber, you drive for Lyft, you know. And then concierge doctors, they, they drive the limos, you know, it's the, the same thing. And now patients will also go into that gig economy because in their downtimes on their phone, they will add some, you know, medical information for which they will be paid because in micropayments, every time they do that, so they will make a, you know, they will make a bit of money. And so, for instance, in one of our systems, we have integrated Amazon, well, no cryptocurrency or something, just Amazon. Amazon codes. So what does that mean? Well, people make points on Amazon and they can buy an, uh, everything on Amazon. Basically, you can now buy, you know, it's really become the world store. You can buy everything and, uh, and, and people like it because that's, that's the new way of going to research, I think. I believe all these new technologies will dramatically reduce uh, the cost of medical research. It will give payers, for instance, who have a lot of data, which is real-world data, the ability to sell that data and reduce their premiums. It will give people like uh, uh, Walmart or or Verizon enormous ability of getting that data and also sell it and therefore reduce their prices. So everything is reduced. The the buyer's market comes up. Services go up. uh, People are friendly and... uh, It may be an idealistic world, but it's one I want to believe in. And as a scientist, we are ready to make this happen. But we need leaders who go behind this. We need leaders of large corporations to say, this is what we're going to do. Uh, A little bit of back-channeling and consensus, but in the end, this is the vision. And we also need this to be accepted by clinical research. So we need publishing. We need we need to publish about, this is how we did it with placebo, this is how we did it with not, not with placebo. This works, this doesn't work. So if we get these two things together, so then we are in a completely different world.
1: So, well, that was um, very fascinating. Your vision Um, I mean, you have set out quite a task for your team on this uh, Industry Connections program. For those of you not at a part of our ecosystem, maybe Industry Connections program you can understand as an incubator program, and it's to take a team of uh, 12 groups working with Walter to sort of test and make this sort of vision happen, right? And what does that look like from workflows to changing the process? I think it's just unbelievable. Um, you know, one point that I think is really, you covered so many great points on benefits to patients and benefits to sponsors of clinical trials. I guess you touched on this, um, you know, this is a very... I don't like to use the term disruptive in medicine because it makes people feel uneasy, but this is really revolutionizing how we think about trials in the process. And what do you, what do you believe is going to be the element that's going to get Um, all these stakeholders to sort of change and accept this new approach. You know, this is the way we have to go. What do you fundamentally believe will drive home that, uh, you know, is it policy like FDA writes it in? Is it through the development of standards? Is it through consensus of the ecosystem? Like, what do you feel will be the turning point where people have to say, I have to be part of this, I have to engage this?
0: Well, I think the the industry as it now is, is a bit like the post office. And we basically unbundled the post office, uh, the Physical aspect is now Amazon, and uh, the uh, digital aspect is email, and we're all happy with the de- de- delivery. So when we see, you know, U.S. Post coming to our door, the kids say, "Hey, Amazon is there." They don't even think about it anymore. I think that we are going for, and now everyone is aligned. We are going for what uh, I call the decarbonization of uh, healthcare, and with decarbonization, I mean, you know, fewer and fewer humans you know, carbon based units. The, the highest form of carbonization is hospitals. It's, you know, because you need more than one human and then you need more than 10 humans to uh, project uh, uh, and to bureaucratize these uh, other humans. So it's the number one line item uh, of cost. Uh, a lot of people go to hospitals and they shouldn't go there. That's why we have a, you know, we have a, a delivery problem there some people should just stay in there you know i think there are a couple of uh, uh startups now already working on uh, the distributed hospital rooms at uh, at home where you just uh, if you just need you know an ultrasound you can now buy one for two thousand dollars you know you can rent them on at a hundred dollars a month and since you have a virtual healthcare on your uh, screen you know a doctor can say oh that looks like this or you can even do blood tests now or you know like There are companies like uh, Seven Cents. You can just put it on your arm. There's so many things available now. And you know why? Number one, that uh, item that people go to hospitals for is uh, IV drip, you know, like saline. You know, you can easily do that at home. You know, like a nurse can do that, or, you know, they can show you once. And in HBO training, you you have to do it to each other. (laughs) The the, the next level of of carbonization is the physical checkup. Now, before you have a, a telehealth, you first have to meet this doctor who uh, sits on the other part of the room. You are both masked. No, actually, it's not necessary. You can even do immediately telehealth. Telehealth is the third line, you know, like hospitals, doctors, telehealth. Telehealth is a lot digital, but it's still, you know, like a doctor there on the other side. The fourth, decarbonization is digital. And that is, you can chat, you can do email, uh, you can uh, uh, look at a response group, uh, you can uh, text your doctor, and you really love it because, you know, I I prefer to text my doctor about medication and that my medication arrives at home than really to go there and talk about it. It's no use. Of course, I'm a declarative person, I I do not seek uh, ambiguation. And then the last part is robo. You know, uh, we have an agent, Serenity, for mental health that uh, we are getting ready now. We put all the clinical protocols in there because there's a lot of anxiety around now. Because the more you give data to people, the more anxious they become before actually confiding in a human being. So Serenity is so great. People love it. Why? Uh, because it all stays on your phone. If you want to talk about mental health issues and anxiety, I don't want it to be on a corporate server somewhere. I don't want it to give it to Google. You know, like uh, before you know it, it ends up somewhere you don't want to. I want it to be on my phone, on device, not going to the cloud. And and this is possible. So this this is the funnel. You know, hospitals, physical doctor, then uh, virtual health, digital health, robo health. Because we will never be comfortable. With getting the human out of the loop. You know, we thought so 20 years ago, 30 years ago, we thought so with, bank, with banking. Banking, we optimized the hell out of banking. And in the beginning, every banker thought they were going to lose their jobs. Well, guess what? There are more bankers now than ever. And, uh, and also, there are more computer scientists working in, in banks. Uh, every time we introduce technology, it doesn't reduce jobs, you know, it, it creates of course, probably not with the same people, but that's the, the learning thing that uh, you have to actively work on not becoming irrelevant. And also, and it's fun working on not becoming irrelevant, <laughs> because learning gives you adrenaline. Well, it gives me adrenaline probably. Well, I think it gives everyone adrenaline. You just have to learn them how to learn, you know. Uh, and uh Yeah, that's uh, how I see that funnel going from hospital to doctor to virtual to digital to robo. And this will scale doctors because no way we will create, you know, 10 times more doctors than we have now in the next five years. That's not possible.
1: Wow, there's so many great uh, pieces of information and insight you shared with us today, Walter. Um, we've come up on time. Uh, just if anybody's interested in joining the clinical and in, uh, Walter and his uh, cohorts have in leading this incubator program, uh, please visit uh, standards. This is a great participation if you're a pharma company, a CRO, a technologist, a blockchain company. If you want to see clinical trials really revolutionized, uh, this is the opportunity to be a part of something that will definitely put a footprint in the ground. Walter, thank you so much for your time today. I will be sure to invite you again to see how the team is progressing and definitely get a little more insight into how you're seeing the future of trials going and how we're starting to make that change. For everyone else, thank you so much for joining us. Until next time, stay safe and be well. On behalf of IEEE
0: Standards Association and IEEE SA Voice, thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit standards.ieee.org. We hope you'll join us again soon.